So now we need to think. By this time he was married. He had a young daughter. He thought he'd stepped on a ladder. He was saved. He knew his purpose in life. Everything was going to go forward from here. Not the same day, but a short time later, he's in jail. And he can't provide for his family. Did he step on the tail of a snake? He didn't know. He didn't know. The difference between a snake and a ladder is not the situation you're in, but how you respond to it. That's what makes the difference. The difference between a snake and a ladder is not about fate. It's not a chance occurrence. It's about faith. That's what makes the difference. I'm going to run quickly through 2 Peter chapter 1. There's a lot in this for you to study afterwards that I'm not going to get into. But I want to glean two things from these words from God's word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now as I read through that list, can you imagine it as a ladder? We're going we're to try. So we start at the beginning, of course, and, and as we look at this, this verse and just read through it, this isn't complicated. We're just going to read through it again and just pause for a moment on some of these things and, and think about what they mean. So by his divine power, obviously not by my power or your power, God has given. So let's just stop there. It always starts with God. And God always starts with giving. I challenge you to read the whole Bible and contradict that. In the beginning, God created, and what does it say? He gave them the garden, the place where they could have communion with him. It always starts with God, and it always starts with God giving. It doesn't start with a dice, with a roll of the dice, and it doesn't start 
with a work project. I'm going to make God notice me. It always starts with God. And God is always giving. God has given us, now listen to the gift, everything we need for godly life. So we might miss the gift if we have the wrong goal in mind. God has not given everything you need for financial security. God has not given everything you need for, for uh, I mean, you fill in the blank. What is it of this world that you seek? What he has given is what you need for godly living. I remember when I first learned that as a pastor. Here I'm going off script, so this might be longer than you thought. When I first learned this as a pastor, because, because I was thinking, what a, what a horrible church you've given me, God. Now, now I, I'm not talking about your church, so it must, it's probably completely different. But these people don't want to volunteer. They won't do anything. They don't give enough. Like, like I could go on for a mile complaining about the people in the church. And, uh, uh, yeah, I won't tell you the story of how God brought this to me, because that would be too long. But he showed me. You are in exactly the place I placed you so that you could become godly. So stop complaining. You've got the wrong goals in mind. Claremont Community Church is in exactly the place that God has given you to become godly people. That's his promise. He's not mistaken. He's not mistaken. God has, past tense, given Claremont Community Church everything you need to become godly people. The question is, will you receive it? Will you receive it? Here's how. It's not a mystery. You probably could all answer it already. We have received all of this. How? By coming to know Jesus Christ. That's how we receive the gift. By coming to know Jesus Christ. By coming to know the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Remember Jacob? What did God give Jacob when, he descend, when, when the angels came down on the ladder? Promises. Not the solution, not the end point. Promises. Walk with me in faith and you will walk into these things. That's what a promise is, right? You know, come to my house. I promise, but when you finish shingling the roof, I'll give you this much money. All right, that's a good day for you if you're a roofer. It's a promise. So you shingle the roof, you get the money. God has given us promises. And here's the promise. It's, a, it's an incredible promise. Because this thing about godly living, that sounds difficult, right? He has given us these promises that enable you to share in His
All right, give me that one. It's red, but it's still going. Yeah, that's fine. If you ever wondered how to be godly, that's how. He's given you part of himself, his very nature, to live into. So, so then, I mean, Peter is so practical. We remember him asking Jesus all kind of questions and, and getting in trouble all the time, but he learned. In view of... All of this, and that's a lot, all of this. But in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promise. So this is okay. I have faith in Jesus. I, you know, I mean, we could, we could share the whole gospel message here in terms of how to come to know his son. But there's more to it than that. How do you respond to God's promises? You start with faith. Put your faith in. In Jesus Christ. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Okay, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want to get into that godly living stuff. And then I find out it's hard to live godly. I'm not very good at it, even though I'm making every effort. So what's the next step? Add to your moral excellence knowledge. I need to read the word. I need to study the word. I need to listen to good sermons. I need to gather with other Christians and talk about these things and pray about these things and gain in my knowledge of Jesus Christ and his word. And as I gain in knowledge, I'll become more self-controlled. And as I gain in self-control, I'll be able to patiently endure the hardship that I'm in. And out of patient endurance, I become more godly. And as I become more godly, I'm better able to love my brothers and sisters in the church where I'm at. And as our love together grows, it expands out to become love for everyone, even in the community around us. And then it says in verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in what? It goes full circle in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Having gone up that ladder, you now know Jesus better, so now you can start at the beginning again and you can put more faith in Jesus than you could before. And as you put more faith in him, then, then, then your ability to, to live a godly life increases. And, and I'm not going to go through it again, but you, you get what I mean. So here's the picture I want to leave with you. How do you make the difference in your life between a snake or a ladder? Well, the two, the two side rails of the ladder, picture that as faith. It never stops. It goes from top to bottom. It's always faith. So you hang on to those. With both hands, you never let go of faith. You never forget about faith. But holding on to faith, you put your foot on trying to live a godly life first rung of the ladder as you get a little balanced there still holding on to faith you find that as you as you as you dive into godly godliness a little bit or moral excellence you need more knowledge so before you can take the next step on the ladder you got to learn some things so you study your bible why am i failing at this thing why am i you talk to your friends you ask them to pray for you then you climb a little higher And that's how you go.
That's how you put the promises into practice. Never let go of faith, the side rails of the ladder, but climb. So let's look at the stories. Is this real? Does Does this work in real life? Anyone guess who John is yet? I don't know if you know. His name is John Bunyan. Ever heard that name? Some of you know him. For those of you who don't, I'll I'll tell you about him. Three months in jail. Wife and small child at home. The church rallied around so that they had food and and, uh, were supported. He comes before the judge, and the judge says, Today I release you to jail, but there's one condition. You can't preach in the streets. And we have the records. You can go to Bradfordshire, England, in the John Bunyan Museum, and you can see the court records. This is what he said. If I was out of prison today, I would preach the gospel again tomorrow, by the help of God. Three more months. John Bunyan ended up spending, he was out sometimes, he preached, went back in. He ended up spending 13 years in jail before England changed the laws and allowed lay people to preach in the streets. 13 years in jail. He was such a good prisoner, reminiscent of Joseph in the Old Testament, that the jailers would often let him out. He'd go visit his family. His family grew. (laughs) Because the prison guards knew that he'd be in for roll call in the evening. They could trust him. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But still, he was, he was in jail. He wasn't able to work for 13 years in the prime of his life. You'd think that's a pretty, pretty sharp, steep, long snake. And it was. He went through depression. He had hard times. But in the end... He praised God. Here's what, he, here's, what, here's what John thought. First of all, in prison he could read the Bible and study and work on his godliness with no interruptions from work or family or anything. So he counted that a blessing. In prison he could preach and no one would stop him. So prisoners from all over the county would come into prison He'd preach, they'd become Christians, they'd go home to their towns and bring the gospel wherever they went. So he was happy about that. He praised the Lord about that. But something else happened. He, be, he had never imagined that his purpose, he thought his purpose, why God spared him on that, that night in the army, was to preach the gospel. But he couldn't go out in the streets and preach. He started to write In prison on those 13 years, he wrote 60 books. The most popular book in his day was named Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Now, most of us probably haven't read that book. It's worth the read. But that book was published and republished and published again until almost every household in England had a copy. Many, many people came to know the Lord. Far more than he could have preached to with his mouth. And he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And if you don't know Pilgrim's Progress, I think you should. 
This is, a, this is not a trick question. I think you know the answer. What's the second highest seller in the English language ever published? Anyone? <laughs> the Bible is the number one bestseller in the English language ever. Pilgrim's Progress is number two. In the English language, this book has been read more than any book other than the Bible. He thought he was on a snake when he went to prison, but he was on a ladder. If your goal is living a godly life and influencing others for Jesus, he was on a ladder. And a lot of the rungs of his ladder were in prison. It's not easy. It was a life with suffering. He could have easily responded without faith. He could have said, well, it was a roll of a dice. This is my fate. Stop preaching. Become lazy in my Christian life. Don't raise any controversy. But he didn't. Let me tell you, you know, about this book. This, this is my dad's copy. Um, but when I was 14, my parents gave me a, a newer edition than this one. This one's kind of fun because it's, it's printed almost exactly 100 years after the first printing. So that's kind of cool. But this is one my dad read when he was a young boy. Um, it's good for adults too. Um, but nowadays you can go uh, on, on YouTube and, and watch a dramatization don't do the newer Hollywood versions because they mess up the story completely. Do the old BBC versions when they had that corny animation and all of that. They're far better. But, uh, but when, when my parents gave me this book, I remember uh, as a teenager reading it, and two things I'll share with you that I, I, you know, I, don't, I didn't have to think even a second before understanding where my testimony is with this. Uh, the, the main character is Christian, and he's on a pilgrimage uh, to the celestial city, and uh, it's kind of a fanciful thing, not not real life, but it's it's it keeps you engaged as he travels on his pilgrimage, and uh, just just so you kind of understand the the impact. Have you ever heard in a song or something um, when you cross that final river? Uh, various different ways of that being said. Okay, that's from Pilgrim's Progress, because in in his uh, in his analogy of the Christian life. At the end of the life, there's a, there's a river and the celestial city's on the other side and there's no bridge and there's no way through and you have to go by yourself. You can't take friends with you and you can kind of take them part of the way into the river as you, as you, as you start wading through, but you've got you've to get through that, tar, that hard, cold, boiling, rapid river to get to the celestial city and that's the, the illustration in the book for death. And so we still use that in common parlance, in songs, and in, in, in even in speech. We, we say, you know, when you cross that final river. That's the influence of this book, uh, has, has permeated our culture in that way. But when, when I was reading it the first time, and we got to the spot where, where, where Christian uh, reaches the foot of the cross, I, I could, I, I'm not going to tell you the context, you just kind of have to go with me here. But as he, as he reaches the foot of the cross... And in that experience, as the story goes through, it's kind of a, a whole experience. And uh, he, he ends up kneeling before the cross and fully giving his, his heart and his life to Jesus. And as he does that, a huge backpack full of burdens falls off and rolls down the hill. And he didn't even know it was on his back. 
He had no idea he was carrying these burdens. But, but when he, he fully gave his life to Jesus, it fell off. And that's when he realized he'd been carrying all these things. And, uh, and I, I just, I'll never forget that because, because I almost, as I read that passage uh, from Pilgrim's Progress, and I, I'd been in the church, so I knew all the teachings surrounding that so I could understand it. And, and I, I, I almost physically felt the burdens falling off my back at the same time as I was reading that. Now, as a 14-year-old, I didn't have very heavy burdens, but, but still, God met me there as I was reading. And, and so I've always, throughout my life, been able to go back and remember, I'm feeling heavy, I'm not sleeping well. Okay, go back to the foot of the cross. It's John Bunyan's influence in my life. Teaching me how to understand the Bible. And the other thing isn't a particular story from the book, but one of the things that, that kind of almost surprised me as a young reader is after being at the foot of the cross and losing all his burdens, Christian could travel much faster and, and he was much more agile and able to, to escape the darts of the enemy and stuff like that that all happened in the book. But he still got off the path many times and sometimes for years at a time on a sidetrack in a temptation in a beautiful field where he just paused and didn't continue the journey. But God always sent a messenger or a way for him to escape and get back to the path. Sometimes he'd miss the messenger and then God would send another one. He eventually always got back on the path and continued the journey. And I learned as a young Christian to have patience with myself. To not be so hard on myself. Not, not to lower the standards. That's not what I mean. But, but if I'm on a sidetrack, just, just trust God's going God's gonna to find a way to bring me back. And that's what it means to have faith, right? I'm holding on to faith. I believe the promise. He will finish the work. I've made some mistakes. I'm on a sidetrack, but God will come through. So that's my testimony on the book. There's more that could be said, but I recommend it to you. But the the point I'm trying to make here is, is John Bunyan, whether you've read this book or not, has had a huge impact on the Christian world in the English language. It's been translated into almost every language as well, like the Bible. Because he landed in prison. What he thought was the tail of a snake turned out to be the first rungs of a ladder towards greatness. We all still know his name because he didn't let prison turn into a snake that took him down. But he believed the promises of God and that prison brought him up. Up in godliness. So what about you? Do you face any situations that you fear might bring you down? I mean, we we can all do this, right? Well, maybe not all of us, but I know I can. Many of you can. You look back and you think to the times when God blessed you, the times when you grew in godliness the most. They were probably all or almost all hardships. That's when we grow. If our goal, like Peter, is to increase in godliness, then these trials are the rungs of the ladder that we climb by faith. If 
It's not a roll of the dice. The difference between a snake and a ladder is not fate, but faith. Same goes for a church, a church family. Are you going to pull together, hold on to the rungs of faith, and set as your goal not finding a pastor, growing to 500 people, building project? Is your goal we will spur one another on towards love and good deeds? To grow in godliness. Because if that's your goal, God has already given you everything you need. Now I suspect as you do that, he will bring you a pastor to help along the way and he will bring you new people because of course as you, as you grow in that path towards godliness, you, you grow in your love for one another and you grow in your love for, for, for all the people around and, and you, will, you will then grow numerically as well. It's almost always the path. But if you put the wrong goal at the front... And skip over the godliness part. Where God is saying to you as a church, this is the conditions under which I have determined are best for your growth. These are the conditions. Well, then you'll grow. But there's stuff to do. There's two things, right? Faith, hang on, tight, never let go. But you've got to climb. There's stuff you have to do. Add to your godliness knowledge. Add to your knowledge endurance. Add to your endurance patience. You have to do it. That's how you come to know Jesus. That's the only way to come to know Jesus better. Anyways, I've gone on long enough. The Psalms gives us a prayer that I'll give you in closing that sums this all up beautifully. Psalms 121. The title's perfect, right? A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. So in, in light of Pilgrim's Progress, we could translate that, a song for pilgrims ascending to the celestial city. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? So translation means, I look to all the things that are wise and big and mighty and strong in the world. Is that where my help comes from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who made the mountains doesn't mean the things in this world that attract us are bad and evil, you know, those mountains we want. But they're not the thing. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Remember, the angels were around Jacob before the ladder, and they climbed up first. And Jesus repeated that. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, he who watches over Claremont Community Church, never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Amen. The worship team can come forward.